Okay, when it comes to the, uh, the book of Colossians, um, did you get, everybody, get, everybody get one? When it comes to the book of Colossians, we've mentioned before, we were going through chapter 1, uh, and Paul often does this. Paul is writing uh, to correct uh, wrong teaching, misunderstanding of various doctrines concerning uh, the faith. Colossians is the same way. It's not really a debate, uh, but there's a... Uh, there's been an ongoing discussion for a long time as to what was the heresy, what was, who was doing this teaching, what was being taught uh, that Paul was trying to correct. And so we're going to take a look at um, some of the things that Paul addresses kind of briefly to try to formulate in our minds who it was and what it was that was being taught uh, so we can maybe better understand why he said certain things and why he said them the way that he said them. Uh, when Paul writes Colossians, he doesn't name the names of any false teachers. He doesn't explain any of the particulars uh, of the wrong teaching. He just launches into uh, the teachings that he did give, which again, when we covered in chapter 1, uh, there was a great emphasis on the preeminence of Christ and who he is, uh, so that it would be clear on that. And as we've said before, when it comes to um, evaluating any religion or any denomination or any group that claims to be Christian or claims to be true, because sometimes people call me up and they say, hey, Bob, what about this group? Or what about that group? You know, are they, are they okay? What about this guy? Is he okay? Uh, if you can't get a hold of somebody who may know, uh, normally the quickest way to find out, at least to a, to a pretty safe degree, is to find out what they believe about Christ. All right? So if you were to call and ask me about Mormons, the very first thing I tell you is, nope, not Christian. And the reason why is because what they believe about Christ goes contrary to what the Bible says. Uh, in Mormon theology, they believe that Jesus and um, Satan are both created beings and were brothers. The Bible makes it clear that Jesus is God, Satan is a created being, but they're not brothers. Um, and they just kind of go from there. They also believe that Jesus became God, not that he was God who's come in the flesh. So those are enough. You don't really have to know anything else. doesn't matter what else they believe. doesn't matter what they do. They're wrong. You know, they are, they're, they're going against the truth of what the scripture says. And so that's really all that we need to know really about any group when, it's, when it comes to evaluating um, where they are at. So then when other people say things like this, you've heard this being said, where people say, well, I just believe that all religions in the end are going in the same direction or teach the same thing. Well, they clearly don't. There is only one religion that teaches that Jesus is God. That would be Christianity. Uh, so they all don't teach the same things. They teach different things. Uh, there's a disagreement there greatly. So normally individuals who say that all religions teach the same thing are individuals who somewhere in their belief, if you were to talk to them, believe that when it comes to religion, there's no such thing as absolute truth. There's just our view of things. And so in their mind... We're all trying to be good people, or we're all trying to make the world a better place, so it doesn't matter what you believe. Um, now, there may be those who are trying to make the world a better place, but it does matter what you believe, because we want to make sure we believe the truth. So the first question, which is the question that's there on your notes, is what is heresy, or what is a heresy? So the simple definition of the word heresy is it is a teaching, um, a doctrine, or a practice that is a departure from revealed truth. 
So heresies are errors that arise from within the church or they arise from within Christianity. Um, so, for example, if someone was to say that they believe that Allah is God, that's not a heresy because that doesn't come from inside the church. That's the belief of another religion outside the church. So it's, it's still wrong, but it's not a heresy um, kind of a thing. Uh, so when it comes to what we believe as Christians, most people after a while become aware that there can be many things that Christians disagree on when it comes to different things the Bible teaches. Not everything that people disagree on is a heresy. Right? That's a word that's reserved for certain things. So, for, uh, again, I use uh, my friend, Terry Johnson, as an example all the time because he's the pastor at Independent Presbyterian. So he and I disagree on prophecy. We believe different things as far as the particulars. All right? Now, I believe he's wrong. He believes I'm wrong. But he's not a heretic. And he doesn't think I'm a heretic. He just thinks I'm wrong on that. Okay? So heresy then would be this. Heresy is a word that, you, that we use to refer to the departure from the truth in regard to the most important foundational truths of the Bible. All right? So Terry and I agree on the gospel. We agree on who Jesus is. So we agree that Jesus is God. We believe that he's God who's come in the flesh. We believe that he's 100% God, 100% man. We believe that he was born of a virgin. We believe he lived a perfect life. We believe that he voluntarily laid his life down as a sacrifice for sin. We believe that he was truly crucified, that he really did die, that he was buried, and he really did rise again from the dead. And we believe that 40 days later, he really uh, did ascend to heaven, and he is coming again. We, that we believe all of that. We believe that salvation is only by God's grace through faith. That there's nothing we can do to make ourselves savable or more savable. Uh, our works have nothing to do with salvation because there's nothing we can do to earn God's favor. So we believe that it's purely by God's grace or by God's goodness. Uh, that salvation is an individual placing their faith in Jesus Christ. In, we would say it this way, in the person and work of Christ. That Jesus is, um, again, what all those things I said from the beginning, that he was perfect God-man, he's God's come in the flesh, all those things, that's the person. The work was, his, was the crucifixion of Jesus. So the personal work of Jesus encompasses everything in his life and in his sacrifice, and that's what we believe that a person must trust to go to heaven, uh, period. And the gospel is for everyone. It doesn't matter your ethnicity. It doesn't matter what class. It doesn't matter what nationality. It doesn't matter... If you have money or don't have, it doesn't matter. The bottom line is salvation is the same for every single individual. There's also a lot of other, we might say, core beliefs that we agree on. All right? um, I believe that the Bible is not only inspired, but that it is inerrant. All right? so, what I, so that means that I believe not only is the scripture God breathed, and from God I believe that every single word in the Bible and every single thing the Bible says is absolutely true. There is no error anywhere. So if the Bible speaks on archaeology, on history, on science, as well as theology, you know, who God is, there is no error in the Bible. So then if an individual comes along and does not believe that, then that would be heretical. All right? We also believe in the Trinity, that God is a triune God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So if an individual comes along and doesn't believe that, that person is a heretic. All right, so we've talked before about uh, T.D. Jakes. He would be a heretic. 
does not believe in the Trinity. Okay? He believes in modalism. I will explain that later. All right, but the bottom line is, is he doesn't believe that. Then you have some strange things that can make a person a heretic who may not have really been a heretic. So there'd be people like Benny Hinn. So Benny Hinn before has said that when it comes to the Trinity, that each person of the Trinity is a trinity within themselves. And then he said, just in case you missed it, that means there's nine of them. So we do not believe in nine. Okay? We believe in the triune God, and we still only believe in one. So, you know, I, I was, I was going to say, we don't know where he, get it, where he gets it from. He says he got it from the Holy Spirit, but he did not, because the Holy Spirit does not teach that uh, or say that. All right? So that would be heresy. Right, we believe that God created, now I would add this, I believe that God created all things. I believe if you don't believe that God created, I believe that's heretical. Now we can disagree on the details. Right? Some people believe that God created and somehow used the evolutionary process. Now I believe that's completely wrong, but that doesn't make them a heretic if they believe that. I'm also an individual who believes that the earth is fairly young. I don't believe the earth is five billion years old. I believe it's somewhere between 10 and 12,000 years old. But there are some people who are old earthers. They believe that the earth is that old. So again, I believe they're wrong. They believe I'm wrong, but they're not a heretic. So to me, the heretic is an individual who denies that God has created. Um, now, I believe Adam and Eve were real people. I, I believe that's fundamental. Um, there are some people who call themselves Christians who don't believe Adam and Eve were real people, that they were just kind of representative, then there's different views. Now, I, would, I, I believe that that's heretical because Jesus in the Gospels refers to Adam and Eve and speaks about them as if they're literally two people and that's how everything started. So I would kind of say, yeah, that's heretical. Um, if a person doesn't believe in the virgin birth, I would say that's heretical. Um, so then when it comes to other things, for example, because people ask me this all the time, do I believe Catholics go to heaven? Some will because they actually believe the gospel, but the Catholic Church teaches a gospel that's a little different than what we believe. What we believe is salvation comes by God's grace alone, by faith alone in him. The Catholic Church believes that it is a combination of God's grace and your works. Right? So they've added to salvation, so that would be heretical. And that's, you go back in history, you study the Reformation, it was kind of a big deal uh, when all that happened. Right? There were a lot of issues, lot of issues there that were, that were being dealt with, but that was the main one, uh, really, that drove the Reformation, was what we would call the doctrine of salvation. So all those things are important. So early on, Jesus warned of this, Paul is also warned of this, and that is the warning to the church was to be careful because there would be wolves in sheep's clothing that would come in to deceive uh, the believers. There's also, and what, a wolf in sheep's clothing is a false teacher. And there's also then even more clear, not just calling them wolves in sheep's clothing, there's passages that speak of false teachers from arising from within the church that will lead people astray. So again, doctrine is a big deal. That's why we make it a, we make it a big deal. What we believe is really very important. So that's why at least most every church has some kind of a doctrinal statement that will delineate what it is they believe. They can't delineate everything, 
because uh, that would be pages and pages and pages. Now, ours is a little long. I, I think it's 13 pages. At one time, it was 27. Kind of got carried away. Um, but the idea is, if somebody can read that, they, they can tell what it is we believe. And we cover a good number of things in there to make sure that, you know, there's no... So, so if somebody reads that, they're not going to wonder, gee, I wonder if they believe that abortion is murder. That's pretty clear that's in there. That we believe in creation. All those things. All that's in there. So, again, so remember then that heresy, or calling someone a heretic, you don't just throw the word out towards anyone who may disagree with you or disagree with the church that you go to as far as the doctrine is reserved for the most fundamental things. Um, so there are other things that we can disagree on and it doesn't mean that we're heretics. No one has perfect interpretation of the Bible. No human being does. We strive for that. We work hard for that. Uh, but we're, we are flawed, limited, finite beings. And so we're all going to make mistakes. Uh, there's some, you know, in my life, there's been times when I've had to change what I believe because I found out I was wrong. Um, now, you don't just change because someone you like or someone sounds authoritative and they say, well, what you heard here isn't true, it's this. You need to make sure, or at least do your best to make sure that, um, that the individual is correct as best you can. Um, and so... Uh, so it's, there's nothing wrong with changing your mind on certain things, but you want to make sure that you have biblical reasons for that. And even then, you may still, we, may, we make mistakes. Um, so there's no shame in that. Um, hopefully, as you walk with the Lord longer and longer, there will be less of that, but still, we should never think that any of us has perfect interpretation uh, because it doesn't exist. Um, and uh, there are some men who are great Bible teachers um, who have made some mistakes. Um, one of my favorites, John MacArthur, at one time he did not believe in what's called the eternal sonship of Jesus. Now, he always believed the second person of the Trinity was eternal, but he did not believe that, it was, that he was eternally the son. Now he's changed his mind, but some of his books still have the error in it because that goes down the copyright laws. And even though he wrote the book, if he doesn't have the copyright, he can't get it changed. So sometimes you have that. Then sometimes individuals, as they advance in age, whether it's age or something else, can cause them to kind of go off a little bit. So John Stott uh, was a great Bible scholar for years. And then towards the end of his life, uh, he started... He, in the end, he basically said he did not believe that the non-believer would go to hell forever, that you would go to hell for a while, and then you'd be annihilated. Okay, that's wrong. That's not what the scriptures teach. But So he kind of, you know, I don't, I'm not going to say he went off the rails, but you know, he kind of went that way. Um, so, just because, so a person can actually believe a lot of the right things for a while, and then for different reasons. Um, sometimes a person can become heretical that way. There was a guy who was pastoring the church for 40-some years. <clears throat> he would have been considered a very conservative, fundamental Christian. His father, however, was unsaved. Uh, and then when his father died, his father died as a non-believer. And I'm not sure what happened. Uh, but for, on several different Sundays after his father died, when he was preaching to his church, it was almost 
like he was preaching that his father or people like his dad really did go to heaven, but somehow they went even though they didn't believe in Christ. Okay, that maybe he was just overly distraught. I have no idea. Uh, but the church would have had a responsibility to stop that from happening, all right? Because he was very influential. It was a big church. Um, so there's lots of things. So that's so again, there's that a warning in there to make sure that we study doctrine, we entrust doctrine to those who are faithful, uh, and that we uh, continue to live by the true doctrine that is in the Word of God. So back to this. So again, when it comes to the the fundamental issues uh, that might make someone a heretic if they believe differently than, than what we do. Again, uh, that would be the doctrines concerning the nature of God, the personal work of Jesus Christ, the fact and the meaning of Christ's death and resurrection. Again, the Bible is the word of God, how salvation is received, um, all those types of things. And if you were, if you were to, to check the different cults, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, etc., you'd find that they all are very different in what they believe from what the scripture has to say. If you are interested, um, there's an old, old book. Um, when I say that, I don't mean 1800s. Uh, but there's a book that was written by a guy named Walter Martin called The Kingdom of the Cults. And basically what it is, it's got a short um, study on all of the major cults in the country. And so it's a good reference if you're just kind of interested. And another reason why it's, it's a good book to get is because it's uh, old, and so you could probably get it on Amazon for like a couple bucks. Get a used copy. Um, no sense in buying a new one. You can if you want to, but you know why pay thirty bucks when you can pay three? Um, but anyway, it's it's a pretty good reference. Uh, it used to be used a lot in uh, seminaries for individuals uh, taking certain classes to go to. Uh, hmm? It's called the Kingdom of the Cults, and it's by Walter Martin. It's a it's a kind of a thick hardback book, probably. I don't know, maybe 600 pages, uh, but it's a reference book. So you could, you know, you don't have to sit down and read the whole thing cover to cover. You could just, you know, all of a sudden you meet somebody and they're a Jehovah Witness and you go, I've always wondered what they believe. Boom, get the chapter on Jehovah Witnesses and they'll give you the lowdown and uh, explain it all. So it's, it's a pretty good reference book uh, for you to have without having, because you can buy books dealing with only one cult and... There would be several books written, like there's tons of books written on Mormons and several books written on Jehovah's Witnesses. And you can read those if you're really interested. Uh, but if you want a quick reference guide, that's a pretty good one to, uh, to get. So, when it comes to then the, the letter that was written to those in Colossae, that's the city um, where the Colossians were living, um, the number one false teaching uh, that Paul was trying to correct is there was false teaching regarding Jesus Christ. Uh, that becomes clear just from reading and studying chapter 1, where he spends so much time dealing with the preeminence of Christ as well as who Christ is. So a leading characteristic of the false teaching in Colossae was there was a devaluation of Jesus Christ. All right? In other words, it wasn't, Christ either wasn't a big deal or they were trying to make him to be just a man that would be devaluing him. So if you hear someone today... Usually it's a non-believer, but sometimes it can be somebody who goes to maybe a real liberal church. They'll say something like, well, Jesus, I believe that Jesus existed and that he was a really good teacher. But, that, but they don't believe that he was God. All right, so they're not really saying much. They're believing the same thing. They're actually not even believing the same thing Satan believes. Because Satan knows he's the son of God. Uh, so the bottom line is... is uh, know that he's the yes, son of absolutely. God. They know that, yeah. They, they don't want to admit it, but they know it. 
Huh? Oh, yeah. Yeah, when Christ confronted individuals that were demon-possessed, more than one time, uh, they, they said, what have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth, or Jesus, the Son of God, or, you know, that kind of thing. And he basically told them to shut up and, uh, you know, dealt with them that way. But, um, yeah, so that was, so there's a devaluing of Jesus Christ. So in our society, individuals who are trying to come across as being maybe politically correct um, will say that they believe that Jesus existed, that he was a nice man, that he showed us the way, you know, those types of things. The problem with that mainly is, is that Jesus himself said he was God. Um, and then he did several things that, for example, the Jews knew only God could do, and he did that on purpose. Uh, like there was uh, one time when he forgave a man his sins, and the Pharisees are watching this, and they're, like, and they're talking among themselves. They're like, whoa, only God can forgive sin. Well, Jesus, he said that, that out loud on purpose because he wanted them to ask that question. So I'll just give you a quick rundown of that, of that scenario. So this man is, is crippled. Jesus says to him, your sins are forgiven. They freak out. He tells them why I said this so that you'll know that I'm the son of man. And he tells the man they get up and walk. So the Jews had a system of trying to evaluate um, blasphemy, false teaching, miracles, false miracles. How do you determine if somebody is really from God? So if Jesus came along and said to that man, your sins are forgiven you, and that was it, they would then be able to accuse Jesus of not only blasphemy, which they still did, but they, would be, but they would say, we have proof of that because he never healed the man. So when he said to the man, your sins are forgiven you, he said that first. And the reason why he said that first is because in the Jewish mind of thinking, their belief was, since he's not God and he cannot forgive sin, then if he's now going to attempt to heal the man after committing blasphemy, he won't be able to because God would prevent that. Well, Christ knew that's how they would think. So by forgiving the man of his sins first, then pronouncing him healed until they get up, that then was evidence to everybody watching, well, clearly he can forgive sin because if he can't, if he can't why would God let him heal him? And which is exactly what Christ was striving at. So there were several incidents like that where Jesus would say certain things and then prove to them uh, that he was who he was, that he, he was who he said he was, that he was divine, uh, that he could forgive sin. So whatever was going on, this group that has invaded this church or this false teaching is they have devalued Christ. So the way we know that again, I've already mentioned there were these what we call counter arguments about the supremacy of Christ. Um, again, whatever is taught in Colossians, you can find it taught in many of the other letters that Paul wrote, but there is no other passage that you find, that you find in Colossians 1, basically verses 15 through 22, that is as forceful and is as concentrated uh, with the emphasis on the deity and the supremacy of Christ that you find there in Colossians. It's just, I mean, it's just like, it's the magnus opus of that. That is, that's the place to go to understand who Christ is. And again, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, Paul then again asserts the deity of Christ in unmistakable language. And we'll, we'll cover that in a moment. Uh, but again, those statements are really important. And again, remember I mentioned before that the New Testament is written in Greek. Greek's a very precise language. And the reason why that's important is it makes it easier to determine exactly what's being said. So there's no mistake. You know, in the English language, we have 
we have a lot of exceptions to the rule. So one of the advantages of English and why it's spoken really throughout the world is English is a very adaptable language. But it's one of the most difficult languages to learn because not only do we have all these rules, which every language does, we have about a thousand exceptions. Um, and then we have all of our cliches. You know, and then a word can change its meaning from one century to another. You know, that kind of thing. So uh, a lot of times if you hear about someone going over to another country and teaching English, normally, not always, but normally when they're teaching English in another country, they're not teaching the kind of English you get in high school. All they're doing is explaining cliches and expressions to help them kind of catch up. So for example, if, 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 like if, we're, if you're watching basketball, let's say you're watching Michael Jordan, some tape of Michael Jordan, and someone said, man, he was a bad man. Okay, in China or in other places, they go, oh, what did he do wrong? <laughs> right, they wanna know, did he break the law? Um, and then you have to explain, well, no, bad does mean that, but it can also mean and then you would explain, you know, what that means. Um, and so then they go, oh, and so they're trying to figure all that out. And then, so that's normally what individuals do. My, my son, uh, for years, taught um, Chinese children English on the Internet. Uh, and he got in trouble because he used the Bible too much. So they, the Chinese government kicked him off. But uh, before that, that's kind of, you know, a lot of the, almost all the questions he got were questions on the cliches and the various things that we say. Um, when it comes to, and I don't know what they would do if they ever went to Hawaii, uh, because if you want to, if you want to pay your mom, your friend's mom, a compliment on dinner, you would say, "Auntie, this is so." You would say, "Auntie, broke the mouth." <laughs> they say, "Oh, is that his auntie?" No, that's just his his friend's mother, but that's what you call her. And when you say it broke the mouth, it means the food is exceptionally delicious. Um, and so they would really throw them off. But anyway, yeah, that's, uh, that's how it goes. All right, so the Bible does say that in Christ, all, this is Colossians 2.9, for in Christ all the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form. Uh, so we'll go into great detail about in that verse when we get to that verse in chapter 2, when we get back into the, uh, going through the, uh, every verse of the passage. But he makes it clear in this when he says all of the fullness of deity He's making sure that he's able to express to them that when it comes to the deity of Christ, there is nothing missing, right? He's not mostly God. He doesn't have most of the attributes of God. He is, in essence, God himself. Yes? Pastor, do, we, do, the, some, do some of the Jews still believe that Jesus didn't really rise from the dead? Most of the Jews don't believe that Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Um, Really, the only ones who do are the ones who believe who become Christians. So those are called Messianic Jews. Sometimes they're called completed Jews. Um, so they believe they believe that Jesus is the Messiah, and they believe in Christ as their Savior. Uh, most uh, there's there may be a small segment of Jews that don't believe that Jesus existed, but most aren't there. They know that he did. They know that he was a rabbi, and they believe that he was either misrepresented, or that he was, uh, and that the Christians have altered what he said, um, or they believe that he was just a, uh, a, maybe a rabbi who kind of went off the rails, but they don't believe that he's the son of God, and they do not believe that he rose again from the dead. You know, they might believe that he was uh, crucified, because that's in other histories, but they don't believe in the uh, resurrection of Christ. Yes? 
Yeah, remember they yeah, they paid the Roman soldiers. They paid them. They paid them off and said uh, and the reason why they had to pay them, uh, they did two things. They paid the Roman soldiers to lie and then they told the Roman soldiers that if your basically if your commanders hear about this, we'll take care of them too. Because in a Roman army, if you were guilty of dereliction of duty, they would torture you to death. Um, that was automatic. And the main reason for that was because a large part of the Roman army were not Roman citizens. They were slaves from other places they conquered. It was basically, you know, we've conquered your people. If you want to live, join our army, fight for us. Well, how do you keep those people in line and keep them from rebelling? Well, if you don't do your duty, uh, we will torture you. So they had different ways to torture, but they would always execute soldiers in front of all the other soldiers as kind of a reminder who was in charge. So that's why they had to pay them money because you don't still walk around and say, oh yeah, we've failed in our duty. Um, so they paid them the money and then they promised to take care of their commanders. So yeah, and that's still, uh, there are some who still repeat that today. Uh, there's a couple of Jewish guys who um, do seminars in synagogues and it's, it's to teach some of the people in the synagogue uh, some of the answers to the issues that Christians raise. Um, of course, what they're saying is not true, but I mean, right. they're trying to formulate a way to defend their religion and their people from converting to Christianity. Does, does the Bible mention that there will be some day that they will come around and believe? That what now? That they will believe in Jesus? Always. There's always a believing remnant throughout the scriptures. Yeah. And there's a time coming okay. when all of, yeah, there's a time coming when all of Israel will be saved. Okay. That's future, but the entire nation will become believers. Yes, it will. It'll be really cool. And that will usher in the actual second coming. I believe it happened, that will happen after the rapture. But then um, the Bible talks about God hiding them, which is a place called Basra, which is Petra. You can look it up on the internet. It's a really cool place. But anyway, they go there, and what happens is, is the Bible describes that they will uh, confess their iniquity. And it's singular. It's one sin they're confessing as a nation. Which would, which would have been the rejection of Christ. And so they repent, and it says they mourn for three days, and then they ask for the Lord to come and save them. And that's when Jesus returns. And that's when he comes and defeats the armies that have gathered against Israel, which we call the Battle of Armageddon. may not be the best title, but that's what we call it. And that's when Christ returns and wipes them out. So, it's yeah, it's a pretty dramatic event, <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> yes, there's another event that's supposed to happen. <laughs> Don't know what it is, but it's going to happen. <laughs> Most definitely. <laughs> All right, so uh, again, uh, when it comes to the... What was that? Oh. So again, when it comes to the question, who is Jesus Christ? Paul says it's God. Again, not partly God, not a semi-God. He is God, period, in every way. The second thing is, so the first one is Paul gives his counter-arguments against the supremacy of Christ. That's how we know that whatever this heresy was, it was devaluing Christ. Secondly, there were clear warnings against deception and encouragements to so that they would stay firmly grounded in Christ. So connected then to the devaluing of Christ, there were teachings that were going on that were moving them away, from, I guess you would say, from the moral standards that the Bible gives to us in both the Old and New Testament concerning how you are to live the Christian life. 
And so Paul spends some of his time correcting some of that. Um, so Paul basically says things like he's concerned because they began well in Christ, uh, but some have moved away. Um, he talks about the redeeming work of Christ um, and says the result of what Christ has done is that believers can stand. And we saw that. He says, remember, he wants to present us as holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. But then he adds that disclaimer that we spent some time on. In the NIV, it reads this way. If you continue in your faith, establish and firm, not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, have become a servant. So one of the things that normally accompanies uh, an individual moving away from correct doctrinal thinking is it does begin to affect their behavior. It doesn't mean they suddenly become a serial killer but they do begin to wander away from uh, the way we are to live as Christians. And what that also then means is we begin to wander away from Christ. It always goes hand in hand. Uh, normally, if a believer gets caught up in any sin, the norm is eventually, which doesn't take too long, they start to pray less. They begin to lose interest in reading the Bible. They're not really interested in coming to church. Now, all those things can happen at once. It may happen dramatically and boom, it just is all cut off, or it might be a gradual thing, but it's very rare, I've never heard of an instance, where an individual is caught up in the sin, is believing the wrong things doctrinally, but they read their Bible every day, go to church every single Sunday, and pray all the time. This doesn't happen, because you begin to lose interest, because um, uh, that's the effect that error has on your heart, and we begin to drift away from the Lord. So again, Paul was confident that because of what Christ had done, they would be able to stand uh, in the Lord's eyes um, unless they move on to another gospel. And that's what Paul was concerned about. So let me read to you verses 2 and 3 of chapter 2. Uh, Paul expresses his hope and his prayer uh, for the Colossians. He says that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So verse 8 of chapter 2 would be the central warning of the letter, where it says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of the world rather than on Christ. So that verse is so full of meaning that I know that I could do this, and I know there are many preachers way better than me that could do this, but you could take that one verse, verse 8, and probably preach, preach anywhere from 6 to 12 sermons on that verse. Uh, because of all that it says. Uh, some individuals have wrongly taken that verse and said, well, the reason why I don't study philosophy is because the Bible says not to do it. That's not what it says. What it says is don't allow anyone to take you captive through deceptive philosophy. So studying philosophy is not wrong. Um, to study anything apart from having a biblical understanding would lead you to error. But philosophical kind of thinking is not wrong. Most individuals that are what we call apologists think philosophically. Um, and so, like, if you ever listen to R.C. Sproul, um, you know, he's pretty well, he's dead now, but he's pretty well known for a, just thousands of hours of, of teaching. Um, and a lot of it has to do with apologetics. And his approach and his reasoning and the way he presents things is because of studying philosophers and what philosophers have said. One of my favorite authors is Francis Schaeffer. Uh, he was a Christian philosopher, um, and his stuff is fantastic. 
Uh, and a lot of these guys who are Christian philosophers have helped to develop basically what we would call our worldview. Our worldview comes from scripture, and then what these guys have done is, is help to develop it and kind of bring a, about a fullness to it. Um, so we begin to realize that there's actually a biblical view of everything. There's a biblical view of art, there's a biblical view of, of entertainment, there's a biblical view of sport, there's a biblical view of war, there's a biblical view of government, there's a biblical view of marriage, of parenting, I mean, you just name it. There's a biblical view of all those things, and they're not always readily apparent in the Bible. You have to study the scriptures and be aware of it, but it's there. Um, there's a biblical view of education. Uh, I mean, it's, it's all, all comes out of the Bible. And uh, that's why the Bible tells us in Proverbs that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. Um, and so that's the starting point. And so that would be our, if you want to get real fancy, that is our um, epistemological starting point. We'll explain that one day. But uh, that's just the fancy way of saying it, that you begin with God and that God exists. So whatever the false teachers were saying, again, they were clearly devaluing the person and the role of Jesus Christ in their doctrine. Paul is not going to have any of that. So the letter is a straightforward defense of the position that the Lord should have in the believer's minds and hearts is first place in all things. Um, that's the most important guiding principle is who Christ is and what Christ has done. Uh, when it comes to the false teaching about religious practices, again, besides the teaching errors about Christ, um, these false teachers were promoting a definition of spiritual leading that was leading people astray. So Paul issues direct warnings against these, uh, against being deceived in three main categories. Number one, there's the warnings concerning legalism. So in verse 16 of chapter 2, Paul says, therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. So apparently there was a there was division that was beginning to take place within the church because people were viewing uh, various religious practices differently. So the, so basically it's this. So we were given a lot of freedom as Christians to celebrate special days or to not celebrate special days. Romans talks about this. Uh, there's a verse that says, to one man, every day is the same. To another man, there are special Sabbaths, etc." Okay, now I'm the guy that every, every day is the same. That's, that's where I'm from. I don't, I mean, I celebrate Christmas. I'm not against it. But I just, I don't think it's all that special. To me, every day is a day that should be consecrated to God. That's where I'm coming from. But there are some people, for whatever the reason, and it's okay, it's, it's not, nothing demeaning about that. You know, they, they, they really get into, there being certain days, and you, and you limit what you do. You, you do certain celebrations, maybe there are certain practices, and there's nothing wrong with you doing that, or even teaching your children to do that. The problem comes in, is when you begin to say that others must do that. So if I'm talking to David about maybe some special day, and I'm encouraging him to do what I'm doing, that's not wrong for me to do that. For me to explain to him why I'm doing it, it's not wrong for me to do that. Um, for me to encourage him to do that, it's not wrong for me to do that. But if I tell him that um, it will make him more spiritual, now we're starting to have a problem. Now I can tell him that I believe it's helped me in my walk with the Lord. And I can say I, it might help you. But if I, if I go into... This will make you more spiritual, and then that moves into you should do this as a Christian. 
because this is what real Christians do or whatever. Now there's a problem. And that would be wrong to do. That's legalism. And so legalism takes a lot of forms. Um, there are some churches that are, or some regions of the country that are famous for that. Uh, we don't really, I mean, I don't really hear too much about it anymore, but I know that it exists. Uh, but there are churches, there's, there's been churches that used to have almost, almost a list of the do's and don'ts of being a Christian. It's not the stuff in the Bible. Um, it's other things they've added. So, for example, some churches used to have stated that a man's hair could not touch his ears. If your hair touched your ears, or if your hair in the back touched your collar, then you were being feminine, and that was a sin. And that's not a sin. If you have a school and you want everyone to have a haircut that way, that's okay. But it's not a sin. All right? Some have said, a, they'll say things like, a real Christian doesn't go to the movies. And, and they believe that. Some do anyway. All right? Some would say, um, real Christians don't watch TV. Well, I'd be living in sin because I watch football every weekend. But anyway, <laughs> and it's on TV. But anyway, um, there are those who say, then they get to some real controversial things. Right? So when it, the real, one of the real big ones that sometimes causes churches to kind of go haywire is whether or not you're allowed to drink beer or wine. Well, the Bible does not forbid it. If you want to say that the Bible forbids drinking wine, now you got a problem. Because what do you think Jesus drank? All right? Now, he, I don't, I'm not saying he drank wine every day. But when it came to Passover and some of the certain meals... You weren't, they're not drinking grape juice. All right? the, the Greek word that's used for wine is, because some people say, well, it's actually grape juice. Well, there's another Greek word for grape juice. It's where we get the English word glucose from, and that ain't the word that's used. It's the word for wine. So, some you know. Hmm? Some people alcohol affects so badly, they don't Correctly. And, they, and you know, now, here's the thing. I don't believe it's sinful, but I don't drink. I just, I just don't do that. And the main reason I don't is because the main reason has always been, I know a lot of people have a problem with it. Right. I've also been told that over there, a lot of the wine would have been mixed with water. Well, it always is. You're not going to be drinking straight alcohol. Sometimes the wine was more healthy than drinking Well, back then, that's true. But again, the Bible doesn't say any of that. So here's the thing. So if an individual chooses not to drink, not a problem. If you choose not to drink and you drink against your conscience, that's a sin. For you, it's a sin. All right? To be drunk is always sin. All right? So if you drink, so I, it doesn't matter if, you, if it takes one drink or five. If you get drunk, that's a sin. All right? So you can teach, like I can teach, it may be best not to drink. But I can't say a person who's following the Bible should never drink because it's not in there. So I just can't say that. I'm not going to go beyond what the Bible says. All right, so we have to be careful with that. So that's one of those things where it gets, you know, that's, and that can lead into legalism, all right, because we begin to say, well, we have a list of things, the do's and don'ts that Christians should or shouldn't do, and, and it goes kind of beyond what the Bible says. So that requires wisdom and maturity. So now here's the, another thing that's important. If you're not sure, don't drink till you are. <laughs> all right? Don't do it in doubt. Correct. Oh, absolutely. Well, and again, that goes back to the main thing. Don't be drunk. So, yes, ma'am. Brother Paul, you mm-hmm. know in the Bible it says that we are temple of, of Jesus, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. All right. So, if you drink wine, mm-hmm. I mean, they, they, they forbid that you smoke cigarettes. 
because of the temple of the Lord. Yeah. Right, so if you drink wine and beer, mm -hmm. you still put it in the temple of the Lord, right? Well, you have to be careful because then you're accusing Jesus of sin. Huh? Jesus drank wine. Yeah, but he drank beer. He drank it. Doesn't matter. It, that, that's that's not the point. You miss, you're missing the point. The point is, is you just can't you just can't make statements like that because once you do, all the person say, "Well, Jesus did that." So what are you saying about Jesus? So you have to be careful with that, right? Well, here's, here's another thing that this now this is in America we don't do we don't talk about this. It's a sin to be a glutton. That means you eat too much. <laughs> you're gonna get in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't brag about it. <laughs> now, I will say this. It's okay to eat a lot sometimes. Because in the Bible, when they would have festivals, man, they're eating every day for like seven days. But, anyway. Gluttony is, gluttony is a sin. What about it? It's illegal, so that's a sin, right? Well, if it's illegal, it's a sin. Can't do it. It's pretty simple. So I, now I have when I was the chapter of the jail, I did have inmates who would say they would say, "Well, in Genesis, the Bible says that uh, the herbs of the field are are good." I go, "Yeah, but where does it say to smoke it?" Right? The whole point he's talking about there is eating because it's good for the body to eat it. So hemp is you don't really want to eat it, um, but but you know what? If you take if you take hemp and you make like jeans, like denim jeans out of hemp. You know what will happen? You will be able to wear those pants for the rest of your life. They will never wear out. I think you know where it says don't smoke cigarettes. That's, that's, that's yeah, it's not even. <laughs> so anyway, so here's the thing. If you, if, you, if, you, if you spend all your time trying to do all the things that really are commanded, you don't have to worry about all the things that aren't because you don't have any time left over. Well, we have, we have the Holy Spirit in our hearts so yeah. led to what is wrong. Absolutely. Right. And again, remember, and this is important. Again, remember, there are some times that there are certain things that, that you can do that if I do them, it's a sin. Right. Exactly. But it's not a sin for you. But that, see, what that requires... I can do that. If I do, it's a sin. Yeah. So what that requires then is spiritual maturity. And the only way we get to spiritual maturity is by reading and studying the Bible, right. spending time together, and moving forward. Because there's other questions we have to ask ourselves, and that is, what I'm going to do, how will that also affect other believers? And, I ha and we have to be concerned That's about that. It's very important how it affects other people and people Yes. Not. Yeah. And we won't get into that discussion, because that can be a long one. It's not as always as straightforward as it seems to be. But nonetheless... Um, these are the warnings that are being given against legalism. So, where some people would freak out, so like, I don't, you know, I don't have to mow my yard because the church is very gracious and the guy that mows the yard here mows my yard. But, I could mow my yard on Sunday. I won't think, to me, it's not a sin. Of course, now I really get in trouble anyway because people say, you can't do the Sabbath. And I go, well, the Sabbath day is not Sunday. Nowhere in the Bible. It's always been Saturday. And it's never been Sunday. When the church met, it always says they on the first day of the week. It never says they met on the Sabbath. Because they didn't. Because that's Well, it goes back to creation. God rested the seventh day. God rested the seventh day. God rested the seventh day. And he told Israel to keep the seventh day holy. He didn't tell anybody else to do that. Oh, okay. So. All right. I got you. Anyway.
You gonna say something? Oh, you had something? So the seventh day is Saturday? The seventh day is Saturday, yes. First day of the week is Sunday. The church did meet on the first day of the week. The main reason, two main reasons. Number one, this one, the day that Christ was raised. Number two, most all the early church were Jews. They were in the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and then they would go to church on Sunday. And so that was the only day they could meet as believers. And that's when they met. As believers now, why do we have ours considered on a Sunday rather than... Well, well, number one, there's no command to worship on the Sabbath day. Number two, there's no command in the New Testament to keep the Sabbath day. Number three, the early church met on the first day of the week because that was they were celebrating the resurrection of Christ, and that's why we meet the first day of the week. And also, if you're supposed to rest on the Sabbath, even the Jews, then the rabbis are working. When well, the Lord, the, well, remember Jesus explained that that was okay. On the first day of the week, yeah, yeah. The first day of the week. I mean, back then, before mm-hmm. Jesus gave us that. Mm-hmm. The first day of the week, it was fine for them to work and teach and take care of mm-hmm. church issues. So Saturday, they could rest. Yeah, well... You're allowed to do certain works on the Sabbath day, depending on who you were and what was going on. But anyway, but the Lord talked about that. You can look all that up. Um, but, that, but, but now, even the Jews used the laws of the Sabbath to lead to more legalism. Yeah, the Jews wrote down an additional 1,500 laws concerning the Sabbath day. That's a chain around your neck. Talk about all the do's and don'ts. It was unbelievable. So uh, um, the Lord gave a few commands. They added 1,500. So legalism uh, is not a fun thing. So the essence of legalism is basically, again, is the notion that God's acceptance is earned or God's ongoing acceptance is earned and that it's maintained through your behavior, that God's acceptance of you is conditional rather than offered freely through faith in Jesus Christ. So, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. I'm fully accepted by God because of his grace. I am commanded as a believer to meet with other believers and to worship him. If I don't do that, I'm in disobedience. But God does not say to me, Bob, you've missed five Sundays. I no longer accept you. That doesn't happen. Right? Because my acceptance is not based on that. Now, I may begin to have trouble in my life because I'm living in disobedience, but the Bible mentions that God would discipline us. But my acceptance never changes because I disobey God uh, in one area or another. All right? My acceptance and my ongoing acceptance is based on Christ. Uh, for some, <coughs> that's <coughs> very important to remember because we all have different emotional makeups. And so some people tend to feel very guilty over a lot of different things. And maybe they were raised in a home where love was always based on conditions. And so they feel they have to perform so that God will still like them. And we don't have to worry about that. Right? God has fully accepted us. The Bible uses terminology that he's adopted us into his family. And so as a result, God said he'll never turn us away. If there is sin in your life, let's say we would say ongoing sin that's been going on for a real long time, the Bible does also tell us to examine ourselves to make sure we are of the faith because there's a possibility that you're not a believer. Because, and, that's, and the evidence of that, or at least the red flag, is you've been not necessarily struggling with the sin, you've just given in. And it's been going on for, 
years. Now, here's the problem. Well, it's, it's, it's a problem. No matter what those sins are, the Bible never gives a timetable. The Bible never says if you've been doing certain things for three years, you should examine yourself because you may not be a believer. It doesn't say if you've been doing certain things for five years. This is not in there. Um, I do believe that um, there may be a number for you, and that number would be different for me. But the bottom line is the Bible just gives this warning to us. Um, and, of course, I'm sure you can imagine that if God did give a number, you know, saying, well, if you continue in sin for three years, you may not be saved, then we might miss church every Sunday for two years and ten months. Right. We go right up to the edge and then say, go back to church. Well, see, I'm, and that gets back into the legalism. <laughs> so the idea is, is that, um, you know, it's kind of like uh, it's, it's this relationship that we have with Christ. So same thing when it comes to a marriage. You know, you don't, you don't run a marriage that way. Uh, you know, the, the guy or the woman doesn't say, well, I remembered our anniversary three times out of ten. If I was playing baseball, that's a 300 batting average, I'd be a millionaire. I don't think your wife cares. Right? It's not 300. You can do better than that. Right? But when it comes to the relationship, there's, there's the ongoing idea of communication, doing things together, living life together, all those types of things. So when it comes to the relationship with Christ... The idea is, is, is the ongoing relationship that we have with Christ. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. So a man may be married for 40 years, and you could create a list of all the things he does and doesn't do and say, well, I've been watching so-and-so, and here's a list of do's and don'ts for a happy marriage. He might be doing all those things, but he's not carrying a checklist around saying, I want to have a good marriage, so I want to do those things. Those things come naturally in time. <laughs> Maybe not right away, but they come naturally. He changes because the relationship is maturing. So the same thing when it comes for the believer. You know, there may be a time when, when you do go to church because you are afraid that God may punish you for not going, but eventually that's no longer the motive. Eventually the motive is, I know I really do love God, and, and this is important to me. My heart's changed, and, and I want to do this. So that kind of thing. Saved, right? Correct. If you're truly saved. Absolutely. Yes, and that's what that refers to, um, is that. So we'll stop there, um, and we'll pick it up there. Uh, again, we'll go through the definition next week. Well, it won't be next week. Next week is, the, is our Christmas banquet. Um, so if you've not signed up for the Christmas banquet, we have prime rib. Make sure you sign up uh, for that. And then, so we'll continue this in two weeks, uh, and we'll start again with the definition of legalism, then kind of move on uh, through this. All right? So let's... Uh, <laughs> sign up she's right there in the, in the hallway All right. <laughs> let's, uh, let's pray Father in heaven again we thank you Lord for your grace, kindness and love we ask Lord that you would continue to teach us helping us Father to understand your truth moving us Father towards maturity as believers enabling us Father to, to live life in a way that is based on our, our love for you not only because of all that you've done for us but because of the changes that you bring about in our life we ask, Lord, that we'll have a greater love for the truth, a greater love for the Bible, and that we'll have a strong hunger to read it and to know it. So, Father, we ask now that you would dismiss us with your blessing, that you would watch over us, that you would keep us safe, and that you would use us in the lives of others, that we may be a blessing to them and honor you. And we do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.